Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 32 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Sudden Collapse of Ministries. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. We do welcome everyone here today. Cite the Word of God to see how we're to behave, how we're to act, and what's going on in these days. Uh, as we're looking at the Word of God for instruction and uh, for understanding, it moves us to, to um, consider all the things that are going around us, and especially this past week. I know I tend to say it week to week, but how in the world can things speed up? Uh, and they're not speeding up going forward, they're speeding up going backwards. It's just, it's just, I hate to, it is just so amazing to me. I guess I'm just uh, that much of a country boy that it doesn't take much to amaze me, I guess. As we look at our scripture uh, today, as we begin, I want to continue on this understanding. I, I'm trying to give another view, another, you know, it's kind of like looking at an elephant. You just got to look at each little part of it. It's the, the topic is so big and so vast. We have to continue backing up and looking at it, some of the same topics, same verses, trying to get a deeper understanding of what this uh, delusion is, of what this deception looks like. And we've been the more into deception of our day that I get into, the more I am just intrigued uh, of this. Uh, there's so of so many deceptions. How the uh, um, the the life that we lived thirty years ago was much more simplistic, and it was easier to distinguish a truth and a lie, right and wrong. And in this day and time, things are so blurred uh, that it even finds, as the Scripture says, even the elect, it's like we struggle. So I'm going to try to uh, approach that again today. Uh, as it is in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that's the end. As I was studying this week, it's the anticipation of the heavens of this coming of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ and His second coming is going to bring such a correction to the universe, to everything that's going on in this planet, it is a big issue of the second coming of Christ. And now there again, the time period, I've added one, I tend to add one every week or two. The time of uh, the time period is the time of deceptions, delusions, illusions, and pro, uh, false uh, perceptions. Now, as we're looking at the false perceptions, uh, a perception is how you view something. That's how you see something. And a perception is an, is an observation and then an interpretation. You're interpreting what you're observing. And the way we interpret what we observe, it's an observation, interpretation, but it's based chiefly off of your memory. Believe it or not, I've explained this in times past, but it's important to review it again today is a perception is an observation, interpretation of what you observed. Uh, but it's based chiefly off of your memory. And so when we're observing things today, we're doing it and saying, well, this is a truth, this is reality, not realizing that's what's creating our perception is our memory. And usually, and I've said this before, I've, 
I had a, a dog run out from under a porch uh, 40 years ago, uh, tore my blue jeans, bit me on the leg, and I've yet to see the dog. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. It, it, I was walking pretty close to the porch, and it ran out, bit my leg, tore my britches, made me bleed, and was back in under the porch, and I've yet to see that dog. Now, I heard it, but I have yet to see it. So it just you wouldn't believe it how even this day, if I walk up to a porch that's opened underneath, I stand, I stand back a little bit <laughs> because 40 years ago, I had a bad uh, encounter with a porch that was not underpinned. So, but my perception of a porch has now been, uh, it's been <laughs> skewed, if you will, off of a memory off a of past event. So what happens in our perceptions, I mean, we all know that a porch doesn't mean there's a dog under it wanting to bite you. But yet my perception, that's the first thing that kicks in because it's based off of my memory. So how do we as believers and as Christians, why is it important that we have unresolved, I'm going to call them unresolved memory, which is sin, when you have sin, a sin is an unresolved memory, if you can hear me. It's an unresolved memory. And unresolved uh, memories will skew perception. In other words, if, well, you can, you can work out the math, the psychological math on that. So your memory tends to skew your perception of truth uh, if you've been mistreated by as a, as a young girl, if you were mistreated by your father, then you'll have what we call tend to have father issues, which every male on the planet, you'll tend not to trust them or whatever. It's understandable. But there again, that's a perception based off of a memory. So as Christians, how can we see the truth? It's the question. Okay, if that's the way my mind forms a perception, how can I see the truth? Well, a perception to a believer is to be an observation and an interpretation based chiefly on Scripture and not on memory. Is that okay? So, so what we're wanting to do is to substitute our... So if you take unresolved sin to the cross and then it's resolved, it's almost impossible to have a healthy perception with an unresolved memory. Uh, uh, it can be sin or it doesn't really even have to be sin, but usually it's sin, but you can have an unresolved memory. And that is if you have a bad attitude towards someone, that is an unresolved memory and it will skew your perceptions. And so as a prophetic people, it's important that we are prayed up, unresolved memories, an unresolved memory is a memory that has not been taken to the cross. That's what an unresolved memory is. And so you might even find yourself having to lay that memory at the cross daily. Or, uh, but I promise you, if you continually lay it at the cross sooner or later, you'll leave it. You can lay it down. Now, what, what good is that? You can say, well, okay, I feel better. But the truth is, you do feel better with a resolved memory at the cross of Christ. And that you can say, well, how can it be resolved at the cross of Christ? It is because the cross of Christ is the only thing that can pay a debt. 
And if you have unresolved sin, you feel like somebody owes you something, let's say, or, or whatever the case might be. You've been mistreated by someone. Or, so unresolved sin is uh, usually a debt that you cannot pay. The only thing that can pay all debts on this planet is the cross of Christ. So as we take it to the cross of Christ, it cleans up your possibility of having a clean perception of what you're seeing and what's going on in life. Does that make any sense? So you can say, well, Alan, I, I, I want to... See, we're all sitting here with our opinions. And your opinion is based off of your perception of how you see something. And when we realize the spiritual and the psychological understanding of our perceptions based as an observation interpretation based chiefly off of memory... So you're, what you're observing, you have to, the human mind works off of two extremes. You have a right and a left or whatever. The mind operates off of two extremes. And then you, then you reason between two extremes. That's just the way we're made. We've got two extreme events out here. And we cannot see beyond your extremes. That's where the human mind works. We are always uh, operating and reasoning between two extremes. It's in our, in our mind. It'll be your extreme will be the best event you've ever had in life, and it's your worst event you've ever had in life. That's your, you set up these boundaries of these uh, two extremes. And so as we do that, our perceptions are based off of that. So here we're living in a world of reality and we're under this illusion that what I'm seeing is the 100% truth because I saw it. I'm here to, to, to test you on this today, on if what you see is 100% true based on what you saw. There again, I promise you, you can't go by that. That's the reason we even say... Uh, as, a, as an example to a person, we can all, you got all of these, we call it disorders. Uh, we have all of these abnormalities of the human uh, brain and mind. And, and uh, we're, we're all thinking that what we're seeing is 100% reality. And I'm here to offer unto you the only place you can go for 100% reality is the Word of God. It is the only thing out here that is 100% reality. And for us to view the book as just a book full of some truths and some pretty good sayings, a few proverbs I might need to learn to quote, it, we've got to understand there's not much in your life that's purely true except this book. And so I'm always in this quest of trying to, number one, view the reality that I'm living in. We're trying to get through life, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it's full of alligators. Anybody knows? Have you looked down lately? This life is full of alligators. And so what happens is I'm trying to, we're trying to walk through this life as unharmed as possible not realizing we've been put into a place and a planet that's fallen. God had you birth in a fallen, on a fallen planet. 
it's lost. It's broken. It's not user-friendly. So God puts us here with all of these obstacles, all of these alligators of life, and we're wanting to make an observation. And I can make an observation of the alligators. I might not see all 100 of them, but I'll see 20 of them. So I make my life off the observation of these alligators. I got bitten by an alligator 10 years ago, so I now am a little suspicious of alligators. But you don't get through life by identifying the alligators. You get through life by knowing the pure truth. The pure truth is what guides you through these and to navigate through these waters of life full of alligators. If you can hear me. So what we're going, if I'll hush and get on with it, what we're moving to this morning is how, how much of me uh, can I trust? Well, I hope you understand that you cannot 100% trust you. Did, did you know outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're capable of anything? Did you know that? You thought you was better than that, didn't you? Have you ever said, well, I wonder how they did that? It's because they were operating the flesh and not under the power of the Spirit. So it's important that we cultivate this operation of the Holy Spirit into the lost humanity that we might navigate through life and we can say to others, follow us. We know this spiritual yellow brick road to the Savior. Just follow us. Now keep this in mind as we're moving quickly this morning. All right, the battle, I've said in the beginning, is from the beginning is between God's Word versus man's Word. So here is the big battlefront today. God's Word, which I'm telling you is the only thing that you can have a healthy perception through, is this book. Everything else is questionable. So <clears throat> when a nation leaves God, it has been deceived which brings on a delusion mindset, a delusional mindset, which uses animal instinct instead of moral truth. Do you get that? Animal instinct, and I explained that, I think, a couple of weeks ago, that I believe a lot of animals, a lot of warm-blooded animals, I believe, have souls. But they're also operating off of instinct. We have a spirit. Now, <clears throat> if you do not operate in that spirit, you are probably going to operate in animal instinct. Uh, if somebody gets your toy and you want to lash out, you want to fight them for that toy. It, it's usually ownership and you get into competitiveness and all of that. So let's move on. <clears throat> now, the greatest lie of all time is that the Word of God is not true. We are living in a time that the words of God are being erased from our culture, leaving us with the words of man. So we're in, this is the battle, words of God versus the word of man. I'm telling you, the only true observation you can make is through this book. So when it comes to sin, it comes to life or whatever, I got to go to this book. And I want to hopefully show us this morning how we are representing this book. It's amazing how the mindset of us humans work. Uh, just because you know a truth doesn't mean you have permission to negotiate that truth with a lie. Now, can you hear that? 
Just because you know the truth, it doesn't give you permission to negotiate truth. Now, now I'm, I'm a farmer. I, I'm, I, am in a, uh, I am in a lifestyle of compromise. I am, uh, I've said this before too, you, when you plant corn, you plant it an inch and a half deep. You want your soil temperature 65 to 72 you know, degrees, a certain percentage moisture. You want to do all of these things. There's a perfect way to plant corn. And, and do you know how many times I've planted corn in a perfect situation? And the answer is zero. Uh, to plant corn, I'm always in a compromised situation. It's a little too wet, it's a little too cold. I mean, because I'm, I'm constantly trying to negotiate uh, with the weather and with nature. And I know everybody says they, they love Mother Nature and all of this. And, and to me, I don't see Mother Nature as, as a mother. I see Mother Nature as, as not my enemy, but someone that's trying to kill me because it never wants to work with me. It's something I'm always having to negotiate with and compromise with to get my corn crop in, in, in the ground. And so it's, it's always, that's my life, is living in this compromise uh, to try to move forward. When it comes to the Word of God, there's no compromise nor negotiating truth. Now, even though like with the weather, it will look like, well, I need to compromise a little bit so we can go forward. The only problem is with God's Word, you can't go forward unless you use God's Word to go forward with. You're not really going forward. And so once we start seeing that the Word of God is not something that God's given me, and I know I represent, we all represent God on the planet, but He hasn't given us this truth to negotiate it with mankind so they'll accept it. Now let me tell you something. God doesn't really care if you accept it or not. And don't get upset with me for saying that. God's not going to lose a lot of sleep over it. If you accept it or not, because this is our, this, you're getting into our choice area arena. It's our choice. God created us. You know, you have a choice. He doesn't lose a lot of sleep over it. And the reason is, is because he's put it in our hands, in your hands. If we're going to receive this as truth. Now, watch it as we move. The great deception is a consequence of people who refuse to believe the truth. And I went over this last week and just going to hit it slightly because I have to, to integrate it into where I'm going. A savior complex. This is a state of being is often linked to having delusions of grandeur. This description is a need to save people by fixing their problems. Now, as Christians and believers, we're under the truth that uh, the cross of Christ, the Savior of Christ, is the only one that can fix your problems. Now, I can bring you the truth, but I am not your Savior. And when we take on the Savior mentality, you're going to leave the power of the cross and use the persuasion of man. Uh, modern psychology is using the persuasion of man. A lot of it is somewhat true, but it has no power behind it. And I can prove it because a psychiatrist or psychologist has to use drugs as its power. Are you with me? The power of the, there's power in the cross of Christ because it's the truth. Now we got to be careful. 
I do not feel the responsibility of saving anyone. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because I know I can't. So therefore, when I'm talking to someone that's in a bad situation, I tell them, I can't save you. I can't even help you. The only thing I can do is to lead you into an understanding that you can grab the hand of God and God will walk out of this deep, dark forest that you're in and he'll hold your hand. The only thing I can do is stand on the edge of the forest and say, hey, come this way. Come this way. The only thing I can do is holler. You can hear my voice, but I cannot deliver you out of your dilemma. Now, and there again, I'm not callous. I'm just very truthful. There's a lot of people that try to save people out there. And it's one thing to have compassion. Well, if you got the compassion, if you truly want to relate compassion to someone, tell them the truth. It's true compassion. It's truth. It just so happens if you tell people the truth, you are not going to draw them unto you. Anybody connect the dots? You see, most people are wanting to be somebody to everybody. You're running a popularity contest or something. If you tell the truth of this book, you're not winning a popularity contest. But you can truly get people set free. And you don't mind telling the truth if you're not trying to win their favor or, or if you have that compelling <clears throat> to, to, to be everybody's best friend or something. I mean, I, I guess that's okay. I'm not a, against friends. I love my friends. I'm just saying, what's compelling you? Why are you? And we take on the Savior complex. I'm doing this for the cross of Christ. I'm just telling you, it's hard to have any good fruit out of that because it's what we call the Savior complex. Now, let's move on. Jesus is the only Savior, and I went over this last week. For someone to be saved, they first must take responsibility for their actions. When a person does this, they will develop internal motivation to move forward towards the Savior. There again, <clears throat> if you act as though you are someone's Savior, you will deny them the opportunity to develop the internal motivation to move forward before and therefore enabling their sin. In other words, if you can't, I said last week, you can't. The Word of God does not give you a soft landing. If you hear the truth, it's going to catch you in half. It's going to drop you at a hundred foot drop. You're going to hit the ground. You're going to cry. You just can't help it. The truth of the word of God is staggering, is shaking. And as Christians, I'm, we are not to make this book in your life a soft landing. I'm not trying to make it a hard landing either. I'm just trying to make it truthful. Because it's important that you have impact from truth. Impact means you run into something. You run into truth. Now, repentance is equal to the message of truth that has been given. <clears throat> I, last week I said if you got an eight-foot-high wall and you give two-foot-high worth of truth, that two-foot truth is not going to get you over an eight-foot wall. In other words, you've got to speak complete whole truth it just so happens the truth has already been measured to the sin. The truth has already been measured to what you're trying to change. So when you give pure truth, there's enough power there to get you over that wall. Is anybody with me? So when we try to water down truth, you can hear truth, but it's not enough to get the job done. I hope you get that. That's the reason in churches 
We have to preach truth. Now, let's move on quickly. Our only hope as an individual and as a nation is repentance. That's what, this is our hope, and I'm going to show you why. Now, repentance is just kind of a word, but let's get into it just a little bit. Moses had the same problem. He would say here with Israel in Deuteronomy. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, you have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. Boy, isn't that something to say? That <laughs> you led a crowd your whole life, and you're saying, hey, you're going AWOL as soon as I die. Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him uh, to anger through the work of your hands. Can anybody say Moses had the same problem? We see that this problem lies here. Now, Isaiah goes on to say this. Isaiah has given us one of the most vivid prophecies about a people leaving their God, here we go, and returning to Egypt to seek help. It's in Isaiah 30 and verse 8. Now, go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and forever. He said, go write it. Why are you going back to what you've been delivered from? So here we can... See this is this warning, is this rebellious people. The problem is, and th this is the reason it applies to the church today, in these situations, God would deliver, and then yet the people would want to go back. You see, the United States is going backwards, way backwards. Now watch this, Isaiah 30, verse 1 and 2. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and they cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, and they may add sin to sin. They walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. <clears throat> Here was the warning. It came from God in Isaiah. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on the horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither would they seek the Lord. We can see a picture here of some of in the church today. We have people in the church wanting to go back to Egypt. So we can see this is true in the Scripture. I'm going somewhere with this. And we can also see the same thing is happening in the church today. Same problem today as it was with Isaiah. Now watch this one. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Who say to the seers, now watch this. Who says to the seers, now this is a prophetic group here. Who says to the seers, you must not see visions. Note that. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy the truth to us, speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. That's what the people were saying. Prophesy unto us illusions. And I see across the church of Jesus Christ today that happening. Now, I want you to look at something here. Now just look at those boxes 
And the longer you stare at it, you should start seeing some little gray boxes in between them. Do you see them? You just look at it and you'll see these little gray boxes in between the boxes, the white and the black. And, and then right when you take your eyes and you look at the gray box and it's gone, and but then you'll they're 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 they've just it's just moved. Is everybody everybody kind of seeing the gray boxes and, and you got you got and I use this because you got light and darkness. And then in between the light and darkness, you're it's amazing how your eyes will the gray area really does not exist. Our minds fool us into believing there's a gray area. Does anybody see that? <laughs> is there, there's not a gray area there. But every one of you sitting in here, if you can see the gray area, your mind has just fooled you. There's no gray area there. But you can keep looking at it and you'll still see a gray area. Now, I've had uh, several people with anorexia I've talked with over the years and helped. They can look in a mirror and see a maybe weigh 75 pounds and see a 300-pound man or woman. You'll, you'll sit there and think, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, come on, you just did it. You just saw something that's not there. My point is, your mind, here's what happens. The gray area is the mind trying to negotiate between light and darkness. The negotiation is not a true reality. Do you see that? Your negotiations is not a true reality. That's the reason I say we have not been given permission to negotiate this word. Well, Alan, you don't understand. We just got to be culturally relevant. No. You're trying to go through a gray area that you're think that you're seeing. But it's not reality. I'm just teaching you something about yourself. You shouldn't trust yourself as much as you think you do. I'm telling you, the only thing that is true is this book. It's this book. When you leave the black into the white, anything can happen. The mind starts negotiating. And so when it comes to the Word of God, we've got to view the Word of God in reality. The Word of God is non-negotiable. If you want to stay in reality. All right? If you want to stay in truth. Now, I can look out here at what everybody's calling gray area now, and I know what's happening. You can say, well, Alan, that is a reality. It is a reality, but it's not a reality in truth. We're shooting for realities in truth. What corrects a reality that's out of truth is the truth trumps any non-truth. So somebody's got to bring the truth to the table. It's not my job to change all the gray areas. It's my, my job to proclaim the reality of the black boxes. Now, if you'll notice in the gray area, you're trying to, the mind is trying to take black and mix it with white, which creates a gray. 
Revelation says it calls it lukewarm. You're, you're, you're laying church of Laodicea, you're mixing hot with cold. So what happened to the church in Laodicea? It was trying to negotiate with the world. Now, here, here's, here's the problem. When you start seeing the reality of that truth of God, you're, you're like, boy, two-thirds of my life is gray. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I've negotiated. And it's, I'm being honest with you. I mean, I, can, I look at myself, and I mean, how much have I... You, you have fear of appearing hard if you, if you represent truth. Now, there again... The Word of God doesn't tell us we have to be harsh. He just says truthful, right? And I think you can give the truth. In the, to give truth and love, to me, number one, it means you give the truth. Let it land where it'll land. But to give truth, to give somebody the pure truth. And you have to, you have to, uh, you have to, pure truth means you don't add to it also. You don't take away, but you also don't add. You know, I'm going to give the truth a little more emphasis. The truth doesn't need to be embellished. The truth is, the power is in the truth is when it's applied uh, as subscribed. That's, that's, that's the way it works. Many today do not want any preacher telling them the real truth. There we go back to Isaiah again. Get you out of the way, turn aside, out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Can you believe they said that? Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and slay thereon. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out of a high wall, whose breaking cometh uh, suddenly uh, at an instant. The word of God will either break you or harden you. It will do one or the other. It will break you or harden you, according to that verse. Now let's move on quickly. Ezekiel speaks concerning mixing love without obedience. Now here's where we are again, all of this scripture. It's in Ezekiel 33, 31. Somebody might need to write it down. And they came and they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their heart goeth after their covetousness. You see that? Does that remind anybody of what's happening today? Yeah. There again, I'm saying when you have the woke churches, we call it, or progressive uh, churches, you're showing all this love, come as you are. Now, I've already given my spill on that one. I believe they've stolen our message as to come as you are. Uh, but we pray unto God there's enough of the presence of God here that, that you don't stay that way. And I'd like to even further that a little bit in saying I hope that none of us stay the way we came. Amen. I hope we all have a constant changing. But here also what I want to point out is, is because of these times uh, in the days of Noah here, it says that they're going to show much love, but there's a problem here, and it's called covetousness. Now look at what is covetousness according to the Bible. Covetousness is a desire for worldly gain. Covetousness is a desire to find fulfillment, meaning, and purpose in things instead of God. The spirit of covetousness leads to and is the mother of many other sins. Coveting another man's wife, as an example, leads to adultery, 2 Samuel. So what happens is 
if you are showing all of this love like I'm seeing in the progressive Christianity today, you're doing it for personal gain. That's right. Now, you use and cite the adultery there because it's mixed with all of those things. We've got to understand something. And I know some Christians think that all you got to do is love everybody back. I understand what you're saying. But it's the love of God that does that, not yours. Now, we're to love each other and love the lost. We're to do all those things. But your obligation is to love people enough to tell them the truth in their sin. That's the way this book works. I didn't write it. I'm just reporting on it. So we want to see this time that we're in. Now, Isaiah predicts a sudden collapse of ministries who reject the message of repentance. Now, this is kind of heavy in Isaiah 30. It says, Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay their own. Therefore, in this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out of a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly in an instant. And he shall break it as the breaking of potter's vessels that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of a, of a shirt to, uh, to take fire from the hearth or take water withal out of uh, the pit." So what happens is you can see uh, this progressive movement is not of God and it will fall. The problem I have with it is it's leading those that need to be delivered into a pit of hell. They're having, they're giving them false hope. Now, here's the good news of this. Even all of this is that's happening, the Lord said he still waits. Even all of this is happening in the United States. Do I think we're headed down the wrong road? There's no doubt. But I do have a little bit of light at, on the side road here. The Lord still waits on us. says this, he goes on to say this, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he, he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. Are you seeing that? So you got two waiting. You got the Lord waiting, and are you waiting? For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of their cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. Now, we are in this predicament and situation that we are in. It's a mess. My salvation is not dependent upon the salvation of our country. My safety is not dependent upon the safety of our country. My provision, my safety is dependent upon the Lord. This is a national thing, but it's also an individual thing. Now, this is what he's going into here. Now, watch this. It goes into verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. In other words, what he's saying, there's a group of people that want, they're waiting to hear the truth of the Lord. There's a group, and we also call it a remnant. You all heard that terminology used a lot. Within, the, within Christendom, there's still a remnant that sees what's happening is not of God. But don't think you're lost 
in this big battle. You're not lost. The, God, the Lord says, wait on him, wait on him, wait on him. He's going to send you teachers. He's going to send you the truth is what he's saying. He says, God will send forth a fresh word and you will hear it. So we want to distinguish ourselves as God's people different from the world, even though we're in the world. But you need to be sure, remember that picture I gave you, the black square boxes. Be sure you're not in a gray area, right? We want to be in a square box and not in a gray area when the Lord returns. We want to be in our place. Now, watch this one. This remnant that repents will have a glorious harvest, he goes on to say. Isaiah 30, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the walk, the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left, ye shall defile also the covering, the graven images of silver, and ornaments of molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get the hence. In other words, what the remnant does is points out the idolatry. Our, how do you know you're part of the remnant? It's because you point out the idolatry. Not only do you point it out, you get rid of it. That's, it's very important to note this because this is the, the crowd that's going to get a, a harvest out of this mess. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed. Thou shalt sow the ground withal and the bread of the increase of the earth. And it shall be fat and plenteous in the day. Uh, shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. How can I be in the remnant? This is the next question, right? That's progressively the next question. How can I know? that I'm in this remnant. Here we go. Matthew 24, 4 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So we know that this is going, the atmosphere of we're living in is going to be in this time there again of great deception. And then Paul says in Colossians, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Perfect in who? Perfect means what? It means complete. Now, I went over the completeness a few weeks back. We're presenting each man as complete in Christ. Now, hang on to that one. How can I be sure I have not been deceived? That's the next question this leads us to. It's all in the calibration. You say, well, Alan, I don't get that. How can I know? And I'm going to show you in the scriptures. This is kind of a little secret of the prophetic, if you, if you will. How can I know I'm not being deceived? How can I know I'm not seeing gray area? How? How? We all see the gray area. How do I not know that I'm not negotiating truth of God in gray areas because I love people? I thought I was negotiating. I thought that the love of God was my negotiating tool. How can I know I'm not doing that? Or there's a way. It's all in the calibration. Now watch this. What is meant by to calibrate? What is meant by to calibrate? Now here's, here, here's the definition. It's at a certain, uh, the caliber of something. A certain means uh, you're sure of. To determine, rectify, or mark the graduations of something, such as a thermometer. You know, the graduations, that's calibration. 
to standardize something such as a measuring instrument by determining the deviation from a standard so as to ascertain the proper uh, correct factors. To assertion, uh, to ascertain the caliber of something. Now, calibration, that's what, if I say the word caliber to you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, probably a gun. Yeah, what gets 45, 22, what, what, what's you packing? No, don't answer me. I know there's quite a few in here. Um, yeah, do not raise your hand. Caliber is a kind of measurement that can describe either the level of a person's ability or the diameter of a gun barrel. That's what a caliber is. It's the size, it's the size of the bore. Now, here's what happens to us when we're deceived. Here's what happens to us when we get into gray areas. I want you to understand the terminology of caliber, calibration. Now watch this. Caliber describes the level of ability a person has achieved in a profession. You say, well, that person's of high caliber, right? That's another term for caliber. I know that, well, that high caliber individual, right? So we, we know that it's put... Uh, let me let me show you this. Does anybody recognize this? What's that called? <laughs> the Excalibur. It's with a U-R instead of E-R. But, but the point being, you had to have uh, great uh, the caliber to pull the, the sword out of the rock. And of course, there wasn't but one according to this fable. It wasn't the one that had the caliber to pull the Excalibur out of the rock. Point being, uh, that meant something. It is not unusual for a rifle barrel to wear out of calibration over a usage period, thus causing it to start missing the target. In other words, the more a rifle or a gun is shot, it starts wearing out the caliber. The caliber is the measurement of a, outside of a bullet or the inside of a barrel. You see, see, the bullet is new every time. The caliber of the barrel's not. The bullet's the word of God. The barrel's you. Over usage, we shoot the new bullet, the word of God. It's fresh. It's powerful every time. That we're shooting it through a barrel that can be worn over time. Thus, getting off target just a little bit. Are, are you with me? I'm just showing you how it works. We can, if you've been serving God a long time, and you feel like you're missing the market, the mark sometimes, like, well, it's not quite hitting the mark. Well, it's the same bullet as it was 30 years ago. But something happens to us people, our barrel gets worn. You ever heard the term, we need to re-rifle it? Our barrel gets worn. It gets off a little bit. In other words, your sights are still on, but you're missing the target. Something's happened in your delivery. Your delivery's off a little bit. The other thing it means is to standardize something by determining the deviation from a standard or as to ascertain the proper corrections factors. In other words, you can take any instrument of measures, weights and measures, has to be calibrated. So you have something that's absolute. If you've got a set of scales, or like I bag 
potty mixes and things, and I have some some boxes that is one foot, one and a half, two cubic foot, and they're exact measurements. And so as you're bagging your material, uh, every hour you'll take off a bag, pour it in the box, and see if the machine that's bagging is calibrated to the box, right? It's amazing how you can set your numbers and go back in an hour and it's out of calibration a little bit, and you're like, well, everything's set the same. What's changed? Point being, you constantly have to recalibrate the instrument. I can give you all kinds of scriptures. All the prophets, they started getting out of calibration. They'd run. I mean, how do you take on the prophets of Baal and then run to a cave? <laughs> how does this happen? It's because of the dynamic of the usage. I'm just trusting the Holy Ghost will quicken that to your heart. So what do we need? We need recalibration. How do I know I'm not going to be deceived in this day that I live? Repentance is a recalibration. Now we're going to pick up here on understanding how we get off. How do we use the Word of God and we shoot and bang, and it's three inches to the right. Didn't hit the bullseye. The Word of God is designed to hit the bullseye every time. As believers, we get worn. We just need to be re-rifled. We need our bore. We need to be bored out. Anybody been bored out by God lately? Right? We, we need to be recalibrated back to the caliber in which we're shooting. We are not the bullet. We are the delivery barrel of the powerful Word of God. The revelation for our prophetic people today is that we can carry the truth and it can get off and we're wondering why. If you'll come next week, I'm going to show you how we're going to start hitting this bullseye. We're getting off a little. <laughs> Some of us are being hit by friendly fire. We're off so far. <laughs> we might even get into that. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you, and I thank you for your word, for your way. I ask and pray, oh God, that if there's anything I've said is not of you, that it would fall to the ground. If anything that I've said is of you, I pray, oh God, that it would be quickened to our hearts, to our minds. I pray, oh God, that this assembly and those watching online, that we could be a people that takes the word of God, and when it's shot out of the barrel of the people of God, that it'll hit the bullseye. It'll bring the enemy down. It will go forth in power as intended. Show us, O oh God, recalibrate our lives, recalibrate us, that we might go in power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.